Are cryptocurrencies that have been around for a long time just old tech now, or are they still viable? I live unbanked off of cryptocurrency, and I use BitRefill extensively because it lets me pay with crypto at places that don't yet accept it directly. This one service, more than any other, helps me live on crypto. Pay your prepaid phone bill, or buy gift cards to thousands of major retailers around the world, all with cryptocurrency, including for exact amounts so you don't have to buy more gift credit than you need for a specific purchase. You can use BitRefill without an account, but if you get an account, you can earn rewards points, which translate to savings, and you can also hold a balance denominated in dollars or euros to protect yourself against market crashes. Go to bitrefill.com, click Create Account, and enter the referral code DCN, or follow the link in the description. Dash's seventh birthday, making it one of the older projects still around and kicking in the space. I believe Digibyte just had its seventh birthday about a few days earlier. And of course, you know, Litecoin's been around before then. And of course, Bitcoin itself is what, like 12 years old by now. There's so many projects in the space at this point, including a lot of new and exciting ones. And it just seems like the older ones aren't really getting that much attention. Now, of course, Bitcoin is there. It's probably always going to be there. It's at the top. Ethereum, number two, is also big. It's also old, I guess, by modern standards. But these are kind of more the exception rather than the rule. You do see a lot of projects that enter the top 10 somewhere around when they get created and then eventually kind of slide out. And before you know it, hey, where are they? Oh, fifth page of CoinMarketCap. Oh, wow, that went way down. So is it really worth it to try to invest in older coins rather than new and exciting projects? Well, actually, that depends on a whole lot of different factors, as always. Now, before we get started in this, I have to use the disclaimer of not investment advice. I'm not even telling you which ones are good or bad anyway. But even if I were giving my personal opinion, I'm not telling you to spend your hard-earned money on anything. Figure that for yourself find someone else to like pump a coin for you or whatever. So let's get into it. Notice in these comparisons between these separate coins about old versus new and things like that, that Bitcoin and Ethereum in particular just seem to be exempt from the possible downsides of being an old coin. No one says, oh, what about them? They might be a little bit too old. Let's invest in something newer. No, that doesn't happen. And that's honestly because they had the good fortune not necessarily a technical good fortune, but of being the right place at the right time with the right team and the right forward momentum to get to a sort of what I call unicorn status, where they have something that you can't just like replicate in something else, unless it's an entirely new thing. So obviously Bitcoin came first and it worked so incredibly well compared to just about everything that came after it for a long period of time. And it got such an advantage in market share and things like that, that it's going to be pretty difficult to unseat it, but also so many other projects are based off of its Coinbase and things like that. And it basically has the name brand recognition that until very recently, basically equated to cryptocurrency, the entire blockchain industry. It's all about Bitcoin. Oh, who's investing in Bitcoin? Am I buying all? Oh, I know my brother bought some of that back in the day and all that kind of stuff. You're just now starting to crack into that being acknowledged as cryptocurrency and not just as one coin. And so because of this extra status, it'll basically take until the cryptocurrency industry is completely mainstream so that there is no such thing as the crypto industry. It just is tech and business. It's everything. It will take until then before Bitcoin's luster starts to be 
less appreciated before just one of the boys, one of the other things. And people start investing in new things and old things. Even then, it'll probably still be around for a while, just based on all the things that are built around it. And Ethereum's kind of the same way in something else. No, it's not a unique unicorn in terms of technical prowess or things you can do with it or things like that. And contrary to Bitcoin, it has been improving constantly and changing and new exciting things being built on it and things like that. It's much more dynamic, whereas Bitcoin doesn't move as much. But in the same way, it got to be that first platform, the first real platform that everything can kind of run on albeit sometimes poorly because of scaling issues right now. We'll, we'll see if that gets solved later. But the point remains that Ethereum has this considerable momentum that you just can't get away from, this considerable, um, this considerable unicorn status because everything's built on it. Just think about all the decentralized exchanges. How many of them run on Ethereum smart contracts? How many major tokens were just built on Ethereum? All these kinds of things that... To be honest, to a certain extent, if you're just moving tokens around, can be a liability these days. But you just cannot beat the everything's built on it kind of a thing. Now, again, when we hit complete mass adoption with this, then you'll start to have an opportunity to have other more efficient platforms where people just say, you know, basically it's not competitive right now. It's hard and expensive to run on Ethereum. Let me try this different platform. And then there's in and crypto is common enough that someone will use a different blockchains app. And as opposed to right now, where it's just kind of everything runs on Ethereum and the space isn't educated enough, the general public isn't educated or comfortable enough to try something different. So when we're talking about old coins, no, it's not the same as those two because they reach some sort of constant permanent status that you can't really get without a lot of work on other projects. So let's get into some of the benefits first. And one of these, one of the biggest ones, in fact, is supply and ecosystem decentralization. Now, most cryptocurrencies have an emission rate. There are some that just the whole pot of all the coins that will ever exist was created right in the beginning. And that's all there will ever be. But most have an emission rate or inflation, as it's called sometimes, where miners or stakers or whoever else gets coins month after month. And over time, in most cases, this inflation rate starts trending downward and eventually you have little to no inflation left. So over a long period of time, you basically get the opportunity for these coins to get into more people's hands. Right at the beginning, the founders and whoever else was starting to mine or whoever else were the first stakers or whatever it is, they have a giant chunk of the supply and they could basically influence the price and in case of governance and things like that, they can influence the whole project pretty easily. And so it's not that decentralized. But over time, more and more people get this. There's fewer and fewer big whales that represent enough to just control the whole thing. Yeah. Again, that's in theory, at least, that you start to see a project mature and actually become a fully decentralized system that you can actually rely on, not something where you just have a founder and a few old people that basically control the whole destiny of this thing while selling you decentralization. It actually takes a little bit of time to fulfill. And so that's one thing you have with older projects. They've been around long enough. The supply kicks out here and there. People sell things. The old guys get tired. Some of them sell all their coins. New people are mining. New people are buying. And it just kind of works out a whole lot better. The same applies to the ecosystem in general. In the beginning, you might have just a couple of exchanges that hold the coins and therefore hold sway. Like if, for example, say Binance has all the coins on it, or well, for example, let's say something like Binance has 
the only viable trading pair, then everyone's going to be doing it through Binance and they can basically dictate a lot of what happens to the coin. And if they decide to delist it, boom, it's pretty much over. Same thing with payment processors and supporting apps and other things like that. In the beginning, there's very few. Over time, it gets spread out into a lot of service providers. So then eventually you actually have a more decentralized whole ecosystem and a more rich and robust ecosystem, making the actual coin, even if the technology hadn't changed, more useful over time. Supply decentralization is a particular challenge to proof of stake coins, with block rewards exclusively going to current holders of the coin, which typically don't run high expenses to continue staking and have no hard-coded incentive to distribute them to new holders. When we're talking about distribution and how that could change over time where a project can improve, the more well-distributed it becomes. There are some caveats, of course. Not all cryptocurrencies were created with a decentralized distribution mechanism. In fact, the only real decentralized distribution mechanism from the ground up is probably proof-of-work mining, where anyone can kind of run an algorithm and start getting some free coins, basically. Not, not free, but you know, in exchange for early security on the network. That's basically the only way you can do that in a really decentralized way. Now, other ones, for example, proof of stake, as I mentioned above, you can only get more coins if you already have some coins. So there's just an inherent supply constriction there where you need permission from other people. And then you have airdrops, where basically a bunch of coins were created in the beginning and then they just get dropped to people. There's like, hey, everyone with a Bitcoin address, get some of this free coin or just, hey, everyone who lives in this certain area, like for what actually did happen to some cryptocurrencies by geography, some people just got airdropped some coins and things like that. And that's a, a different distribution mechanism that kind of gets those coins out there a lot faster, but it's a lot less reliable. First off, you're giving people free stuff who didn't necessarily want it or ask for it, but when you're offering something free, they're going to come clamoring for it. Also, because it's just such a big wave, there's a big dumping too, and then you don't really end up with really distributed supply at that point because a lot of people just you know sell it right away or lose it right away because they don't value it, and then you just have to throw out more. And of course, finally, you have a pre-mine, which is a prerequisite to an airdrop. Basically, a bunch of coins were created in the beginning, a lot of times for a founder's reward or something like that, or to fund development. And at that point, one group that created everything basically controls the supply, or at least a lot of the supply. This is the same thing with ICOs and stuff. Over time, probably proof of work has the best chance of distributing a coin better and making it become more decentralized over time. That's probably the best shot. Now, if you have proof of stake, obviously you're just starting out with a few holders and whoever wants more coins has to go to those original holders in order to get them. Although, let's be honest, they will probably, if they keep on making profits, start selling some of those and then the people who buy can then stake and then the supply does get distributed. It's definitely not as guaranteed of a good distribution as proof of work, but you can still you know, get it around. Now, as far as airdrops, I mean, that does buy its definition kind of scatter the coins around and they might start circulating now pre-mines of course are the worst because in this case at least because they don't necessarily have to get out to anyone they could just the founders could just sell half and then keep half and then the other half kind of gets 
sent around and maybe when the price goes down, the, the founders rebuy it or something like that. And you could end up with a, not a very decentralized supply at all, even over a protracted period of time. So that's an important factor to look at when you're thinking about the whole distribution versus age of coin thing. It isn't necessarily the same thing. You don't necessarily get something that just is older and therefore the supply gets distributed better. Another benefit that I alluded to earlier is low inflation rate. Coin distribution rates start relatively high to basically kick out the coin, get it in as many new hands as possible in the beginning. And over time, when more and more people already have the coin that supplies out, this starts to go down and down and down and down and eventually goes to zero. Or if you are a coin like Monero or Ethereum, for example, it keeps on going infinitely to a very small amount though. And so over time, the inflation rate, even if the code itself hasn't changed, the inflation rate automatically lowers in a lot of these projects. Like Bitcoin has halvenings, where the inflation rate goes down by a half. Some coins like Dash have a 7% or so reduction every much more often, which is a little bit more of a gradual reduction, etc., etc. And so the longer you hold on, the more valuable your coins end up being because say you bought 50% of the supply in like the first couple months. Over time, you're going to have a much smaller piece of the total supply. And let's just say the demand for the project is the exact same, then your portion of that will go smaller and therefore you actually lose value under that. But of course, usually the demand goes up, the price goes up, et cetera, et cetera, and you're all good. But a lower inflation rate does make hodling or not selling, holding on long-term a whole lot more attractive. Bitcoin once had a much higher inflation rate, making the prospect of hodling much less appealing, but now its supply dilutes much slower, making it a better savings technology. Monero went through this phase much faster, starting with a very high emission rate, but it's now comparable with Bitcoin, reversing its utility prospects in this area by the simple passage of time. And of course, let's not forget about security. Of course, general decentralization kind of helps this sort of thing, but it also helps to have a well-established ecosystem, whether it's proof of stake or proof of work, proof of work you have more miners there's more technological development behind the hardware for mining there's more big players mining therefore it's much harder for just some random company to come in and decide to build a few specialized machines and just take over the whole market because this has already been going on for a long time and it's much harder for new entrants to get in and so you have security from that same thing with staking right you will have more people staking, more coins staked, probably a higher price overall, so it's harder to get in on staking. Therefore, it's harder to influence the network to say attack it or something. So generally speaking, older projects tend to get higher with the security, at least with all other things being equal. Don't forget code stability. This is one of the big reasons why Bitcoin is still number one in the market cap rankings is because its code base is very tried and true. It's been looked at and improved and ironed out for you know over a decade. And a whole lot of projects actually backport to this original code base and basically copy the code with some adjustments that are tailor-made for their specific chain. And so there's a lot of eyes and things like that on this code. It works really well as far as it's very reliable and stable. Nothing too crazy is going to happen. This isn't really the same case with a new project that just starts everything from zero. And then who knows what kind of vulnerabilities could exist? Who knows what exploits you could run into? Things like that. And so new projects with an entirely new code base always have to deal with that. And the older it is, the less likely it is you'll run into these kinds of problems. IOTA was once a much hyped contender that used an innovative new alternative to a blockchain, a Tangle. 
However, this untested tech produced several critical bugs, whereas Bitcoin's code base has been well known and well tested for well over a decade at this point. Don't forget sustainability. Any project that comes out with a big wave of hype, especially if they have an ICO or other kind of initial fundraising effort, can get a lot of momentum, a lot of cool things done. Over the years, though, it's really hard to maintain that and become sustainable. So, for example, a good project that runs entirely off of donations will have to basically build up their donor network pretty well. They'll have to keep on delivering innovations and keep on generating interest and donations over time to be sustainable. So you know that this is going to be good for the long haul. And you won't really know this until a few years have passed. It's easy to pretend or it's easy to see a big wave of interest in the beginning, but then over time, the thing just kind of drops off. Also, if you have a treasury, a decentralized mechanism, for example, like Dash and Decred and other projects like that have, that basically pay for development right out of the Coinbase or the inflation, it's a lot easier to become sustainable long term. You might not see that advantage in the beginning. You might not see it till later when, you know, other projects are going broke and some are still surviving. And finally, multi-year innovation. Just about every project out there has just some kind of a unique value proposition. They made it for a reason. It came out, whatever. And it does something cool and new. Now, over time, the odds of a project being able to do more cool and new things over time goes down. Only a few can keep on doing innovation after innovation after innovation, keeping on evolving. And that's a very good sign that this is something that's going to work out because you could come out with a brand new project that does all kinds of new things that are pretty awesome. But then that's all they manage to do. Over time, they just can't really replicate those successes. And so then if you just go by new project innovations, you have an innovation here, one there, one there, one there. Some of them might build on each other, but by investing in or using or building a company around or running infrastructure of one particular project, that doesn't transfer to all these other innovations that crop up in new projects. It's only one that can consistently create its own innovations over and over and over. And of course, adapt innovations from other projects that they see, but just put them all in the same thing that actually carries over. Now let's look at some of the challenges behind older cryptocurrencies. First off is of course, old tech. When you have a technological product, things advance very quickly. And if you don't advance with it, you know, you're kind of stuck and you start to become uncompetitive. Now, of course, we talked about the ability to consistently innovate. Sometimes, though, you are built on old technology and you can't just rebuild the whole thing from scratch. You might as well just start a new product. And in the meantime, someone else is starting one from scratch that just works perfectly from the get go. So there's always a risk of running old things and just not remaining competitive in the future. And of course, we have unfortunately all too familiar founder fatigue or changing of the guard. It's easy to get one person or one team that's really good at their job that come in and do some cool stuff. And then over time, you know, they move on from the project or they get tired or whatever. And then the project just does not really survive past the founder exiting. That's kind of a huge problem. And so projects that are able to successfully reboot and keep going despite having completely new people running it later, that's a rare thing. And if you don't have one of those, you could be in for a world of hurt. Dan Larimer is the driving force behind many projects, including BitShares, Steam, and EOS, and has become infamous for project hopping, with his former creations declining after his departure. After he recently announced he is leaving EOS, one is left to wonder if the same thing will happen again. 
It's a big and interesting test of a project to see what exactly happens when the founder or founding team leaves. There have been quite a few of these kinds of cases. So for example, of course, the biggest one is Bitcoin, led by the enigmatic Satoshi Nakamoto. After a while, he just disappeared. He went away. And the project continued and ended up really thriving over time. In fact, every day a little bit more. Now, of course, there's an argument that after Satoshi left, that his vision ended up being corrupted. And instead of a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system for the whole world, it ended up being everyone runs their own node, everyone hodls. It doesn't matter if you can't really transact on-chain or you know use it for payments at all. That wasn't the priority. It's arguable that Bitcoin did well, but not excellent after the founder's departure. Now, Dash is an interesting story because it was founded by Evan Duffield in the beginning, and he ended up hanging out with the project from 2014 to, say, middle of 2017, from my recollection. And after he ended up leaving it, first he sort of moved to an advisory role and then ended up kind of spinning off on his own project and then just ended up let's let's say for all practical purposes retiring his technical successor the architect of dash ended up staying with the core team for a long time and now at the time of this podcast is doing a side project still for dash so he's still in in the ecosystem and the guy who took over leadership of the core team ryan taylor not a technical guy in the same sense, has basically been more or less at the forefront of Dash leadership about as long as its founder now. And so you could call that a very seamless transition of power in that there wasn't a drop-off. And of course, let's be honest, when we're talking about power. There is no power in a decentralized ecosystem like that. There is no power in a decentralized network. There is, however, leadership where you look to the guy who made it. And when he's not there anymore, you just naturally end up looking to whoever is the strongest voice or personality after that. And after it happened is when Dash hit all-time highs. And then there's been a whole lot of innovation and development and adoption and things like that that have happened after that transfer. Monero is a little bit of an interesting story because I'm not super clear on all the details, but the founder quickly became uninvolved in the project. And in fact, a lot of the Monero old-timers will even call him a scammer or something like that. It's very strange. The guy who ended up leading the project, Fluffy Pony, was involved for many years. Uh, and then at some point, he ended up deciding to sort of retire, although he's still around. He's still being a loud voice in the community. He still acts like a de facto founder. And I don't know if I would call that completely retired yet. But if he ends up migrating away and just going on to greener pastures or whatever, then we'll see an interesting case of the first time the de facto, even though not actual, founder of the project leaves, and we'll see what happens to it. We'll see if it has a vibrant future after that, or if it just ends up fizzling away. Litecoin, of course, being the, the infamous example of this, it was founded almost like an afterthought, if you think about it, by Charlie Lee, and he kind of floated away from it at one point. He was just happy working at Coinbase. Litecoin transaction counts were dropping month after month, and it was basically abandoned. In fact, Dash was originally based off of the Litecoin code base, but it was abandoned to the extent which Dash got rebased off of Bitcoin later and you know, was basically based off of something that was still being updated. At some point, Charlie Lee got Litecoin on Coinbase and then started paying a lot more attention and then everything jumped off and started popping off. And then, of course, he infamously sold all his money at the very top and then everyone, you know, freaked out at him for it. And he's still kind of lurking around in the background. But 
I don't know if Litecoin, with his lessened, diminished leadership right now, will be able to keep on going and survive. Of course, it could, but I just don't see that thrust without him. And of course, we'll see what happens. Maybe it keeps on picking up valuation and spots in large funds and things like that to where there's just always going to be someone to keep it moving along. Bitcoin Cash is an interesting case because its founder would be more or less Amari Sachet, the lead maintainer of Bitcoin ABC, benevolent dictator, as it were. And it's kind of interesting in a way because while he's the founder, the de facto figurehead of the coin might as well be Roger Ver of Bitcoin.com. To the point at which people still ask him questions like, what made you decide to found Bitcoin Cash when he didn't? He wasn't even involved at the beginning. He waited for it to kind of get going a little bit. And then he was like, all right, this seems great. This seems like the vision of Bitcoin I signed up for. I'm going to start helping it. So when eventually there was a disagreement between Amari Sachet and and members of the Bitcoin Cash community, it ended up being Roger Ver was not on his side and the Roger Ver side handily won. And now there's a Bitcoin ABC floating around there. I don't know what it's doing right now. But basically, I would count Roger Ver as the founder, de facto, even though he didn't actually do it, of Bitcoin Cash. We'll see if something ever happens to him or he decides to move on to something else or at that point, what would actually happen to the project. Now, Bitcoin SV, of course, as everyone knows, Craig Wright claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto, the founder of Bitcoin. A lot of people have doubts on this. And he is essentially, he and his partner, Calvin Air, are basically the figureheads of Bitcoin SV, the founders. And there's quite a bit of ecosystem development that's outside of those two. But it is still very much of a look up to the leader kind of a setup. And Enchain, Craig Wright's company, owns patents in a whole lot of these major developments in the ecosystem. So... If he decides to go and his company decides to go, that would be a death blow for the coin for sure. But just him as a person, who knows? I still think it's very wrapped around him. And if he wasn't there, it would just be another bunch of people thinking their kind of Bitcoin is the better one. And of course, Ethereum and the Wunderkind Vitalik Buterin, who commands a lot of respect in the ecosystem. Um, Ethereum has such a large community of developers and such that it's probably fine to continue without Vitalik. I don't know about the actual direction of the protocol, though. It's hard to tell because it basically goes according to what the foundation, the founding devs kind of do. So that would be an interesting thing to look at. Another one that hasn't really come up yet because even the oldest blockchain projects aren't really that old is the block reward running out. And remember I mentioned the whole inflation thing before? Well, eventually that goes down, down, down to almost nothing. That worked as a subsidy for mining or staking or development or whatever else to just sort of kickstart it and keep it going. Eventually, all this is supposed to be replaced or at least mostly replaced by fees. And fees only come in if there's a lot of people using this for practical reasons and they're willing to pay it. And of course, if you don't have that amount of fee income coming in, then eventually the whole project can just fall apart because there's no more free money anymore. The coins are valuable because they're not being inflated a bunch, but then they're not secure because you can't really get enough mining power to keep them secure just on fees. And then, you know, they sputter out eventually. And unfortunately, last one, hype cycle fade. Everything comes in with a new burst of energy that people ride on. They think this is going to be great. It's going to work forever. But over time, just, you know, people stop caring anymore. And then something that worked entirely on speculation 
all of a sudden the speculation goes. And even though the product keeps getting better and better, it's hard to get people's interest back in the project. There's something like Bitcoin or Ethereum that have really gotten ahead of the game. And just it's going to be really hard for them to actually sink at this point because they just got so far ahead and have built so many new things on it. It's going to be hard to get out of people's minds. So anything new and cool you do, including just scope and price, is going to be noticed by everyone. For smaller projects, especially when you go far down the market cap rankings, it's just really hard to get that hype back, especially if you don't come out with something new and awesome and splashy. So ultimately, the message in all this is evolve or die. Older projects have a bunch of advantages, but if they don't keep up with the times, they don't keep growing, they're going to just fall by the wayside. We've seen a bunch of projects that have kind of done this and, you know, they're kind of in the history books now. They're not really current anymore. People aren't really investing in them. They're not really going to make it anywhere except for some, you know, big miracle. Namecoin, Feathercoin, Peercoin, NXT, BitShares, and others all at one point occupied prominent market cap rankings and were considered serious contenders. Now they appear to be on their way out the door as important footnotes in blockchain history. Now let's look at a few projects that have actually done better than this and have continued to be in the modern discussion based on all the innovations they've continued to produce over the years, or a variety of other factors. Digibyte has evolved its mining technology several times to accommodate several different mining algorithms and avoid mining pools in order to achieve decentralization, has improved its transaction speed, and has added secure authentication functionality and a tokenized asset layer, remaining in the top coins conversation today. Dogecoin, despite starting as a joke and fading from prominence with no real development to speak of over the years, has remained a fixture in the space and is still used a lot, particularly for exchange-to-exchange transfers. Dash went from an initial one-trick pony with a CoinJoin-based privacy function to developing universal instant transaction settlement, high-level blockchain security, decentralized development funding, decentralized governance, and now is in the process of releasing a decentralized application platform based around decentralized digital identities. Litecoin was headed to the dustbin of crypto history, but got a renewed push with the listing on Coinbase and pursued popular developments of SegWit and Lightning and now Mimblewimble privacy enhancements to remain in the conversation today. Monero overcame some serious usability and scaling issues, as well as some privacy exploits, to become much more usable and reliable today, pulling ahead of other newer competitors to solve claimed the privacy market niche. And of course, Library came from a skeleton of a blockchain-based content network slid far down the market cap pages to forgotten territory to build some great and actually usable services on top of it, gain millions of users, and claw back some of its value. Library promises to be one of the very top, if not the top, decentralized content platform now, only bolstered by a wave of recent tech censorship. Now notice I didn't mention Ripple among the early coin success stories because Ripple's been around for quite some time. It's one of the older cryptocurrencies and has been a consistent top five for a very long time as well. The problem with Ripple is I don't know how much credence I'd sort of put to the idea that it's going to be around for a long time more. The token itself doesn't seem to be gaining much adoption or attention and it seems like it's all wrapped around what the company can do. So the problem is the company is being sued by the Securities and Exchange Commission over basically selling unlicensed securities. And so if that is the case, obviously there will be some sort of a fine involved and it could be possibly jail time or something to founders, although I don't personally think that's going to happen. But it would make it essentially illegal to sell to U.S. holders 
on traditional cryptocurrencies exchanges. They would have to become securities exchanges, and that's not going to happen. So depending on how all this could go, it could be a, just a quick collapse because without the Ripple company leading the charge, the, the token is not going anywhere. And so even though it's surviving right now, even though it's thriving right now even, I wouldn't call it a success story quite yet. So there you have it. We're done here. Which projects do you know of that you really value a lot that are kind of old and have been around for a while? Uh, please let me know. Comments, donation messages, whatever. Let me know. I'll talk about them. I'll give them a shout out. I'll research them if they're cool enough and maybe even do another video on them. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe so you don't miss an episode and donate to support the show by going to my Cointree page. That's cointr.ee slash the desert links and leave a message with your donation. Check out the show's sponsors. Live on crypto with BitRefill. Buy absolutely anything with crypto with ShopinBit. Avoid content censorship with Odyssey. Protect your privacy online with NordVPN. Get paid to search with PreSearch. All links are in the show notes.